0: In the sidekick on the Buccaneers
1: Sports Network. All right, good Tuesday. Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, Sandos and the sidekick. We're talking football. We're talking basketball. We're talking stock report. We're talking bold. It is, I would say, a normal Tuesday, but men's basketball, another cancellation. We'll not be talking about them, but women's basketball finally back on the court and three straight games at home starting with tonight.
2: We'll talk stock report segment number three, which will have a little bit of ETSU info on the men's basketball side, but looking at the picture going into the final week of regular, really final few days of regular season play, we're already in the final week of regular season play, going into Asheville, some scenarios, what could happen, what we expect to happen, and of course naming our award winners in the Southern Conference on the men's basketball side. I'm sure it will be very contentious. We have not told each other who we each have picked going into this third segment, so I uh, if tempers flare if the heat raises not only in our studio but coming through the airwaves you know why because there are strong opinions on both sides per the usual Santos in a second
1: yeah so basically I'll be right and you'll be arguing that I'm wrong is that is that fair
2: um, I'll definitely be arguing that you're wrong
1: yeah even if I'm right
2: well, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We see, could, we see I'm agree. right. You heard that. We you could heard agree, that. and I would probably still find out. Nah, there's to one I think we'll right. probably
1: agree on. Really? Uh, I think there will be one.
2: Okay.
1: We'll find out. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm just thinking percentages, 25% chance we can get one right. Okay. 25% of the time works all the time. Let's talk ETSU football. And uh, I know you were uh, in the midst of either driving, traveling, Indisposed. Uh, watching the game. Yep, yep, in Birmingham at, at Sanford uh, with ETSU women's basketball. So. Uh, flying blind on a few things, and I get that, and that's fine. And uh, the one thing I will say, when you check – did you ever check the score oh, yeah. and all you saw was 14 nothing at some point? Yeah, a couple okay. of times. So, but it was interesting because we heard Coach Taylor, that you did the pregame chat with him. I thought Coach Sanders. You weren't – they weren't sure what they were going to get. And Coach Taylor talked a lot about dealing with Coach Hatcher when he was at Georgia Southern, when Coach Taylor um, – was at Chattanooga dealing with him at Murray State when Coach Taylor was at Tennessee Tech and now obviously six years or whatever it's been, five, six years now at ETSG-wise at Sanford. And last year was the first time that the run was about 70% of the attack as opposed to 70%, 80%, sometimes 90% all passing. So not sure what to do. And so they went with, well, it seems like a lot of the personnel is set up to run like it did last year. and. And that is not what Sanford did, and they confused the Bucks. The speed we've heard Coach Taylor say before, though, Sanford's hard the first possession or two, maybe three, because of the speed in which they operate, and you cannot simulate that. And it was a little bit, I think, of the speed. It was a little bit that was confusion. There was breakdown in coverages. Um, there were missed tackles. Oladokin was phenomenal getting out of the pocket. There's a lot of different things. You know, seven on the first two drives, seven of seven on third down, mm. dominating, and fourteen nothing passing touchdown, a rushing touchdown, and the defense was very confused. The next couple third downs, I believe in the first half, they were 1 of 2. So they finished 8 of 9. The next half, they were 0 of 10 on third down conversions and the adjustment. And I thought, um, and we will hear some soundbite from Coach Sanders a a little bit later on. It won't address a specific thing, but he did do a breakdown from from a question actually from. Uh, I don't remember if it was a tweet or Facebook, but he got a question about the defensive adjustments, and he talked about each issue went from a run-blitzing, run-heavy defense style to just scrapping that and going all against the pass. And once they made those adjustments, then some of those things hit home. And because there wasn't as much breakdown um, in things because, and I certainly will get this wrong, but basically run blitzes are for guys to hold up and let other guys blitz, and so some of the contained things aren't there principle-wise as in a passing blitz, and so passing blitz, on long story short, the adjustment in the style of blitzes, which I thought was uh, very well uh, explained by Coach Sanders on that, changed the dynamic of the game, and ETSU's defense was certainly up to the task, and there were some guys on the defensive end that we expected to have monster games, and there was some new names that had some monster games, but after going down 14 nothing, and the field goal they gave up too was after a special teams kick, so right after – ETSU had a punt return, was able to tie the game up 14. The ensuing kick return, I think was 61 61 or 64 yards. I don't know why one of those two numbers is jumping out at me. But there was a long return by um, Ty King. And if, honestly, Tyree Robinson wasn't on special teams and wasn't a phenomenal athlete to get him on the ground, that would have been a touchdown. And then the defense gave up one first down, held to a field goal. Other than that, the defense was just lights out.
2: Well, you brought up specialty, and Coach Sanders addressed that last night because there's a philosophical disagreement, I think, in coaching circles. Uh, well, are you going to put guys out on special teams that you just don't want to get hurt, right? You're not going to risk your starters and
0: go out there, And but he sees it a little bit different. A lot of times people think the uh, special teams, that's where that's where your backups play. And, and there's many times that we have backups on some of those, but I want starters on, on special teams. I, I try to keep them not more than two special teams. But I, I'm, I'm one of our best players out there because that's where you have huge swings and field position. And if you can win special teams, it uh, makes it much easier to play offense and defense. You mentioned this man already, Elijah Hussey. I still haven't really figured out how he caught that ball. Phenomenal play, but that's Elijah. He, uh, he has phenomenal ball skills. Uh, his hand-out coordination is really good. and. What a great young man he is, and we're fortunate to have him on our football team. Now, he's talking about on the
2: defensive side, but one of the big special teams plays, as you mentioned, the punt return. So, I don't know if other plays jump out in your mind, but those two bites from Coach Sanders seem to allude to Tyree Robbins tackle Elijah Hussie big return.
1: There were, well, it, and let's say this, it was 14-0 was rolling. And I think the first play or the second play of the third drive was picked off by Huzzy, And Bucks did not score, but it, it was a huge momentum boost. For the team. And it was a situation where Huzzy was in the right spot, playing his man the right way, on his hip pocket. The receiver, it's very, even on the replay, it's very hard to see how the receiver didn't quite make a play and how it kind of stuck in the right arm of Huzzy as he was able to just kind of corral it and come up with an interception. Again, shows his hands. He made a couple of punt catches that made me nervous and probably will continue to make me nervous. But he seems to have what you have to have a lot of confidence in his own ability, in his skill, his cover, whenever he was kind of left on an Island where to be, he was phenomenal. Karan DeLince made a play down the field late in the game where it was one of those is a pass interference. Is it not? And maybe him getting respect for being in the league so much, but he played it perfectly, was able to make sure the pass was intercepted. So, and then Mike Price, he made tackles, and we heard Coach Taylor talk about he came from upstate because they wanted him as a safety. He goes upstate, he's a corner, he's not big enough to be a safety there. Couldn't quite get on the field as a corner. After a year, he's like, you know what? I want to go play where I can start. So he's going to start ETSU with safety. He made sure handed tackles in the open field. He had a couple pass breakups as well. So. And then Ty Robinson, Ty Robinson. Ty Robinson made one of the most incredible plays that won't show up on any stat sheet. He read a bubble screen and got out there so quick Oladoken couldn't throw it and then came off that to trip up Oladoken short of a first down. Now, I think Sanford went for it on fourth and one ended up getting the first down. But making that individual play was incredible because Oladoken almost let go. It was one of those where you kind of see him kind of f- like almost come out of his hand and kind of grab it with the second hand. as He almost kind of fumbled it around a little bit because he was getting ready to let go of the ball. And if he did, Robinson going to walk in the end zone for a touchdown the other way. And then Robinson was smart enough to kind of stay on that receiver uh, until Oladokun got about one or two steps as it looked like he was going to turn up field. Then he comes off that line, comes up, trips him up. So there are several plays in the secondary uh, just off the top of my head that I can tell you that ETSU was able to do. But they were – once they got a little correction done, I think after the first couple series on some coverages, and honestly Sanford wants to play so fast, so they're limiting some of the things they can do. A lot of the route concepts were the same, and I think the secondary figured that out.
2: You've been on Donovan Manuel since day one. I wonder if you think that this is his best game. I mean, nine tackles, couple of sacks, a forced fumble, plus the game-sealing interception. And from, again, day one, you said this is going to be a guy that's going to be up there in tackles. You know, Maybe wasn't going to make all the game-changing plays right away, but certainly athletic, can cover some ground, has obviously some ball skills, strong. The whole package, and he showed off that package on Saturday
1: tackling I was 100% on and, and again and um, you know we like to be honest on the show I, I can't sit here and tell you yes game defining plays I thought certain situations sure he could get to the quarterback but there were a couple of reads in the run game where again worried about the defensive line they were able to occupy three guys were able to occupy five blockers and Manuel was able to run through and make tackles and I thought in once Dylan Weigel left, that was going to be the biggest question: who can go in there? And you know, boom, guys got a hole. Can you collapse it? Can you make the tackle? Can you wrap up? Yes, I think certain rush situations he's been great in because he doesn't go in out of control, and we've all seen that, right? The guys are so happy he's going to get home that a quarterback sidestep steps up, does something, gets by. Well, the was making outstanding plays, so Manuel. Impressed me there. He was able to do that. The forced fumble, Oladokin was able to ma- honestly make an athletic play to get the football back uh, to get it to go. And then INT was set up because he was in the right spot and Jalen Porter was able to get a hand on the football. And I think when you have guys that are doing the right things, good things happen. Just like Eliza H- Huzzy. He was doing the right thing in the game early. Things look like, well, heck, it's Huzzy's fault. But The first touchdown pass was a flood route, and Huzzy's guarding three guys. I don't think Billy Taylor's setting up. He has a lot of respect for Huzzy's coverability, but I'm guessing he does not think Huzzy can cover three guys. So, you know, you could easily look at that and go, oh, Huzzy blew the coverage. Well, no, it wasn't Huzzy. Huzzy's in the right spot. He's stuck between three guys to guard in an end zone. So um, I think Huzzy was in the right spot, but Donovan Manuel, just something about one of the, a couple practices I saw, you know, and I've made predictions on guys, and, and, you know, some fall flat and some happen to hit. This one I just, Happen to hit and I think is going to pan out where he's going to be. He showed some flashes last year and I think just playing all the snaps he did last year as a freshman has shown you what he can do this year and I think he is going to be, barring any unforeseen injury or anything like that, he's going to be a guy in the middle and then you put him beside a guy who's actually healthy in Jared Folks, and I think it gives ETSU its best inside linebacker combination. Maybe, Maybe Weigel's senior year and Yancey's freshman year where he started to really establish himself, maybe since then, since it's been back. But I'm so impressed with Donovan Manuel, defensive player of the week, got the recognition in the Southern Conference, just a monster game for him and really a monster game for, um, I think, everybody on the defense. I mean, it was really hard to find – somebody that didn't do something. I mean, Caron DeLince has three pass breakups, I mean, just to show you what type of corner. And, you know, he's put on Islemore because he basically slid over to where Jeremy Lewis was. He's getting a lot of just man-to-man coverage. Just this guy and you. You don't have to worry about the other half of the field. You don't have to worry about anything else. It's just can you guard this guy? And he was able to do that. But I think, you know, Timmy Dorsey, once you're, if he was going to play, he comes in and gets a, a half sack somewhere in there. Ladjuan Pinkleton had a sack and a half, taken over for a Nasir. Player, you know, Jalen Porter came in because Blake Bockworth got hurt. You know, he had saw just a little bit of action, but he was able to come in and make a play. I thought Juwan Ross, Max Evans, in their first start was good. I, I mean, it, it, it's really hard to turn around. I mean, I think even when Eric Campbell blew a coverage uh, early in the first drive, and they threw over the top to a tight end, he didn't give up on the play. He tracked it down and knocked the ball loose not to give up a wide-open touchdown to a tight end. So I was really impressed with how the Bucks flew around and bought into Billy Taylor's system and the philosophies and the techniques. He's big on technique. If you do your technique, you do your job, things will work well. They got overwhelmed in the first couple drives, and, again, I think most of that because they were expecting the run that they saw last year, and they didn't. And then there were some combinations. But after the second drive, after the interception by Huzzy, then everyone sort of settled down. Then the, the Billy's defensive play calls, Coach Taylor's defensive play calls were better, and the guys responded to everything, and I think they had saw everything. Coach
2: Hatcher said that there was no way we weren't going to see Chris Oladokun and Liam Welch unless somebody got hot early. Now, you see the first couple of drives and you say, okay, well, Oladokun was hot on those first couple of drives, but then the interception – and the offense starts to unravel and not produce as much, and all of a sudden you're looking at you know, 17 points total versus the 14 he scored in the first two drives. I think ETSC only allowed 162 yards in the last eight or nine drives after 164 in the first two. I'm surprised that Liam Welch doesn't show up in the box score. Even talking to some people down at Sanford on Saturday when I was doing the women's basketball game, they were saying, well, yeah, it's, he's playing it pretty close to the vest for us too. Like He hasn't showed his hand to us either. He, he really thinks it's going to be Welch. And Oladokhan, we don't see Liam Welch at all, and that was certainly surprising when you look down because every single indication was, all right, if we have a chance to play both, we're going to. And certainly after a couple of stalled drives, turnovers, and no points going into what I mean, we had a quarter and a half with no points, whatever it was. Well, well, and and to it, Liam they, they
1: scored a five seconds ago in the first half.
2: Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So. Yeah.
1: It was it was it was right at and and that, and and we'll, we'll transition offense in just a second because I really the, I think the defense was the story of the game and I, and I think we we should leave. Well, the I'm not talking. No, I'm not talking about UTS. Are oh, yeah. talking about? Oh,
2: Stanford. Well, Liam Wells plays for Sorry. Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: let, let me tell you about. Um, oh, go ahead. No, you you, tell know, you, know, why you I just go think. from
2: 149 in the first quarter all the way down to you know 609? So it's about a quarter and a half that you don't score. Like why is Liam Wells not getting a chance?
1: I and here's and it's the only reason I I think is because there were eight sacks and none of those were protection sacks, or, or you know, coverage sacks, I guess. Yeah. I was using the wrong word, but th- they yeah. got home so quick, so fast. And Oladokun made – there were probably two throws I think he probably needed back. And one was early – now, they still ended up scoring, but one was the second drive. And it, and they were smart because in the first drive, there was a blown coverage where um, – Huzzy had to guard two guys, and they basically had two receivers, and the outside receiver basically ran a little stop route, and the inside receiver ran a wheel route. Okay, if those of you are familiar with that, if not, I, I don't know if I have enough time or can explain it to you. But basically took a step, ran to the outside, ran down the sideline, and a ball was thrown, it was complete, and ETSU was able to cover it up. The second time they did that, they caught ETSU on a blitz, and that guy running the wheel route was so open that I think it threw Oladokun off because if he hits him anywhere – the guy's going to walk in for a touchdown. Again, they still scored on that drive, so I don't know there are. In the third quarter, I'm sorry, early fourth quarter, when the game was still 17-17, the center Oladokun got outside the pocket, and A.J. Tooney, who had had eight catches in the game, was able to basically run the scramble drill, and he goes deep, and he's got a guy beat, and Oladokun just missed him by a step. And that would have been a huge play because I was on a third down, and that was one of the few times Oladokun, after the first couple drives, was able to get out of the pocket and make a play happen. Those are the only two throws I think he had that he wish he would have had back. There are a couple where pressure throws, ball was a little short, a little high, but guys in his face. I think, honestly, he played really well. The eight sacks, I can't think of a one where, you know, he held the ball second, third, fourth read, holding, holding, holding on the ground, you know. So I I don't I think because he did he did have a good command of the offense he did get touchdowns early he did do whatever I could see where Coach Hatcher's like all right I don't want to make a change again it was shocking because of what how emphatic he was with you right. about doing that but my get and again just guessing I'm not, obviously we didn't talk Coach Hatcher, I didn't read his post game comments. I think Oladokun had such a hot start and was had such a great command of what was going on. was seeing the field well. He made all the right decisions, uh, especially in the first two drives. I mean, I know his two drops where he overshot a guy, and the tight end, as I mentioned, had the ball knocked out of his hands in the end zone for a touchdown. And so, otherwise, he would have been a perfect, you know, 12 for 12 or something to start the game. So
2: We haven't mentioned Quay Holmes yet, which you can bury the lead on this guy because, as Coach Sanders said, he seems to be so consistent. Out there on the field all the time when is needed. He doesn't remember a time where he's missed a practice or missed a game or been banged up to the point where he's not able to participate in anything. So you see such consistency from him that 19 for 125 and two scores, you almost have to chuckle because we've gone, what, 15 minutes talking about this and the best performance of the day, certainly. Offensively, for either side um, does get pushed down the order of things to talk about because you're just used to it. Uh, there was something that Coach Sanders brought up that we've discussed a lot that I thought was interesting about Sanford and what they tried to do to limit not only Quay Holmes but Jacob Saylor. We
0: anticipated Jacob playing a little bit more. Now, Jacob had been limited a little bit going into the game. We were hoping that uh, he would be at full speed, and, and he was, but anticipate him Getting more carries going forward and getting more involved in the passing game. And that was one of the hard things about Sanford's scheme on defense. Is they really made it hard to get the running backs involved in the passing game. You know, they seemed like they always had off or defensive linemen looking for the running backs trying to release and grabbing them, covering them, chasing them, whatever it was. So we had to try to find a way to generate some uh, getting the ball to those guys in space where they could use their natural ability, which you know, we'd like to do in the passing game, but it, it, was, it was a little bit more difficult this past week than normal.
1: I think there's no doubt it's unfair for any of the ETSU tailbacks to go up against any linebacker in open space. I think if a linebacker is able to get a little downhill, get them before they get going, I think certainly, like most linebackers, they've got an advantage. But I think if you can get the ball to Holmes and Saylor specifically, then I think they can make people miss and it's a lot of trouble where they'll just outrun you. And so I think it is interesting because I didn't notice in the flow of the game that that was happening, that not being able to get the ball to the running backs in the pass game. You know, just whatever it was, I I, I just, you know, interesting to hear how different teams do different things, right? But I like that coach is thinking, who are my two best playmakers? Who should I get the ball to? How can I get the ball to? That's what we called
2: for again and again and again. And you look down, and there's only one catch for zero yards. So clearly, Sanford did do some good things. I wonder if that's something that's going to be common across Southern Conference teams because you look at the roster and you say, "Oh, Collins well, no, and Sailors."
1: I, I think you'd have to try. You have to. I think the other thing um, that was that was kind of interesting was I and, and Co, you know, and I've, I've talked to him a lot, and I've, I actually wrote it down to ask him in the coaches show, and then we took more questions. I thought you know we're going to get or whatever because I think. I don't know if people be in football mode or not. Right. But I was going to ask him because you look at the yards. I sort of asked him. I didn't flat out ask him. But you look at the yards per carry. Quay Holmes was 6.6 on 19 carries. Sailors was 6.7 in seven carries. You take away six sacks and you take away a reverse, right? And then ETSU was down to like 3.6 yards because, you know, you're minus 30-some yards or whatever. But I really felt like, Coach, at some point, he likes to run certain things to set up a big play. And I think play callers are like that. And I think fans, I think broadcasters, I think all that, we like, just keep handing it off. Just keep handing it off. Just keep handing it off. You know what I mean? Broken record. There were a couple times he was play action, they had a chance to hit big plays. One time, Rydell didn't throw it. The second time, he underthrew a man and, and allowed the safety Ty Herring to come over and kind of knock the ball away. Otherwise, it would have been about a 50-, 60-yard game. And around midfield, that's where you're going to see a lot of chances taken from a coach, I think, in general. You get to midfield, you play action, you go deep, you run a reverse, you do things like that. Hardly any of those work. Now, it doesn't mean they were the wrong calls, because on the two deep play action passes, they were the right calls. Bucks just didn't execute. Rydell didn't throw it, you up taking a sack or a one-yard loss. It's like one of those most exciting one-yard losses where he runs 47 yards all over the place and barely lost a yard. And in the second one, again, he underthrew a guy because he was a little bit late. He made – and I didn't grade the film, but it looked like to Matt, who's very in tune, uh, Matt Wilson, the color analyst, very in tune with, you know, reading the safeties, reading the eyes. He does the same thing as a quarterback. He looks, see, whatever. Now, he doesn't know every single play and all that. But he was like, you know, as soon as the play would happen, right guy, this guy was open, this center He never said, like he did last year a lot – boom, he missed his second read because this guy was doing this or he missed that. So it, it, it's interesting to see how they go. And Coach said as much on the coach show. Like, he made all the right reads. We just couldn't get him to see it and react fast enough. So we've got to do better job of Tyler doing that because where I wanted him to throw the ball was where he was throwing the ball to.
2: Two-part question, and then we can move on to women's basketball the rest of the show. But do you think that Rydell solidified – starting job going forward so Brock Landis came in one of five for five yards and Cade Weldon has it appears slipped to third coach Sanders addressed that last night said the other two have just been better it's nothing against Cade but the other two have just performed also when I look at this box score offensively it appears to me that this is a quality offensive performance if not pushing well above average uh I should not say well above average I I think this is on a day like this, season opening, this is about as good as I think things could have gone offensively. Yes, there were the fumbles, and I know Coach Sanders talked about that last night, but you look at Quay Holmes, 125, Sailors, 47, averaging, like you said, nearly seven yards a carry, and Tyler Idol, 14-25, 186, and a touchdown for a young guy that hasn't played in a game in almost 500 days. I think that's pretty good. Now, the question will be, can the offense evolve and grow? Because to me, this looks offensively, minus the mistakes, which you can say that for a lot of performance strike right? minus the mistakes, everything would be great. But this looks to be about as good as things could have gone offensively for the box.
1: I think the, once the, what do you say? The first five possessions, sure. you had the two fumbles and a, and a uh, turnover on downs and sort of no man's lands, cold weather. You're going to kick a 50 yard field goal. That's something to be seen. Um, how that plays into effect, because certainly kicking in 30 degree weather is not like kicking in 70 degree weather. Gets heavy. So, um, and I did not, and I will this game. And I, and I normally I usually try to watch the opposing team's kicker pregame warm up, kind of make mental notes. I know Robert does well, Harper on the sidelines do that as well, to see sort of what is the range. And I didn't do it game one. There's so many things just going on. I'm so excited, you know, I'm not paying attention to some things I don't want to pay attention to. So I'd like to know where that range is to know. But I think. ETS, you could have easily had 38 points on the board, mm. you know, uh, even 35. Even if you don't score on one of the three, but you're able to get a field goal and a touchdown. or something. Like It just felt like, you know, 34 to 38 points is what they should have had. I think, yes, Rydell is certainly going to get the start next game. It didn't seem to be as fast of a game as it was for Landis. Landis came in, and he looked lost, and Coach said, basically, we have not seen him do that. Like well, he says when the
2: lights come on, right? You never right.
1: know. He was like, we've seen him in games. We saw him against our first team, D, and the games never looked fast for him. But it looked fast there. So, I think Landis may get a series or two in the next game just to see what is going on. But I would venture to say if Rydell performs like that and Landis again performs like that, then I would say there will be no more seeing a second quarterback. It would be just Rydell from there.
2: I just think considering – time situation, everything that went into Saturday, that it's hard to ask for more from the offense, especially, let's be honest, an offense that has been second, if not third best unit on this team for this program since the Buccaneers have brought football back. So I looked at it and said, I I think that this is a top-notch opening day performance. Yes, there were mistakes, and I'm not saying that it was perfect, right? Yes, there were mistakes yes, you would have liked to have been a bit smoother out of the gate, but it's been so long, you know. And so I wonder what room for growth there is there offensively because if we look at this performance five or six weeks from now, I'm probably saying, eh, you know, this would have been great week one, took it week one, but there hasn't been that maturation, right? And and you expect to be more polished as the year goes along. So for this Saturday, I think it got the job done. I think it was about as good as you could ask for, and I thought Tyler Rydell showed some calm and cool and that he has matured. Um, Now they need to grow offensively because I think for a first day, um, and on both sides of the ball, right, because defense, much like the offense, after those first couple of drives, it looks great. Um, What will it look like as they move through this bye week? A lot of time to, I know it's a weird time for a bye week, but a lot of time to look at what happened in game one Retool, adjust, add to the offensive side, and see what you can do defensively to come out of the gate a little bit quicker. Now you will have some film on your second opponent, so that's nice as opposed to not playing for 500 days. But um, overall, all in all, I mean, what a Saturday. Really cool to have football back.
1: I I think uh, the receivers, too, it was good to see Wilson back come out of the injury. I thought it was great to see Lane Price sort of not just make plays but make big plays down the field and show his speed. Will Hussey made a catch on his backside. It was incredible because that seems to be the only way Will Huzzy can make catches is incredibly. Noah West was nice. I'll be curious to see when Nate Atkins is 100%, which they hope to have him in two weeks, right. and add him to that passing game, what that can do for everybody. And I think we probably yada yada the best part of the offense for me, that offensive line that only had two starters and three guys not for sure, including up in the air, who was going to be the left guard. They were dominant, um, really, at times. They had one or two – they had two, for sure, blown assignments on just a, uh, missed a blitz pickup and Rydell got a sack. The others, Rydell held the ball, ran around a little bit, to be not on the offensive line. But when you look at a pure running game and your two best running backs are averaging 6.6 and 6.7, your offensive line is doing something right. So I think that's encouraging, too, that they were able to gel uh, that quickly. All right, football, 1-0, week off, never popular, week two bye. We'll talk about them. Next week, going into the Wofford game. Up next, to women's basketball on the basketball court. Three straight home games. We'll talk about the first one of those three. After this timeout, no sidekick, Buccaneers, Sports Network.
0: Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common-sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com.
1: Sanders and a sidekick back with you as Mike Gallagher, Jay Sanders break down ETSU women's basketball. They finally get a game against the Catamounts of Western Carolina. That is tonight. Of course, we record on Tuesday. But it is uh, the Catamounts. It is ETSU. And Coach Hill brings his team in all the way from Cullowee. And he had uh, started to get a couple wins early and thought maybe, you know, I was all over it. You just get the four wins and. Got to two, I think, fairly quickly, and it's been a a tough go from there.
2: Unfortunate for, I think, Coach Hill and the Catamounts because at the time that these two teams were originally scheduled to play, Western Carolina had won 4-7, had a chance to get above 500 in the league with more than one game played for just the second time in a decade. So if you follow that, one game played, yeah, they've won the first a couple of times, but you get past that, they hadn't been above 500 outside of one time in-league play after that first game in a decade, and so if they would have taken both from ETSU when these two teams were originally scheduled to play, January 29th and 31st, all of a sudden you're 4-3, and three. and you're the talk of the Southern Conference Women's Basketball scene, you know, people start to take notice and you never know what happens momentum-wise, because then you're almost 500 overall, too. I believe they would have been 7-9, and 7-10, and 10, something like that, which I know these don't sound like very impressive numbers to the average person tuning in, but Western Carolina has been a awful that that is an
1: understatement how awful they've been they
2: lost the last five years their first five games in league play each of the last five i mean so you can imagine setting yourself back like that what kind of success are you going to have it's been a monumental task for kylie hill already and you're right unfortunately things have not gone their way lately um six losses in a row i believe it is and so they're still sitting on two wins and for catamount faithful that's that's tough to swallow because it looked like at that time, and then you have the cancellation, and since they had to come back from that, the momentum hasn't really been there. You have to wonder, and I know it's a weird year, so you can't live in a world of what-ifs, right? You just have to roll with the punches, but what would have happened? What would the season have looked like if they would have been able to play those games? Uh, they were coming off a big win against Wofford, which I think right now is the upset of the Southern Conference season, and then a midweek win against South Carolina State, so they had like a warm-up game going into that weekend. Um Kylie Hill's got to be frustrated, no question, because it looked like things were on the right path. This is a largely new roster. Will Small's no longer there. I, I think that's someone that's a very good individual player, but not necessarily for trying to build a program. Um, someone that you're going to have as one of your main pieces simply because she doesn't make others around her better necessarily. She's a great individual player up at Delaware State now, but it doesn't to me seem like a building block of a winning Program. I mean, it's no offense to her. She's a great athlete and a great player, just not that makes everyone around her better type player. And so it's turned over a lot of different pieces, and things were going well. And uh, now you sit here in late February, the last week of the regular season, and wonder what could have been.
1: It, it is unfortunate for them because, I mean, I think they even got South Carolina State game to continue to build momentum. Right. <laughs> the no rare the rare it. out of nowhere, let's schedule a, a cancellated um, – Non-conference game, or postponed, I guess, since they actually played it. But it, it was – it's so hard because they were – they haven't been able to score a lot. No. But the couple times they've gotten to 60, you know, they've really been competitive. But they just, you know, they lost to Mercer 69-62, and then boom, 47-45. They did score 58, but they lost, you know, 72-58, and they scored 45-44. So, for whatever reason, the last three or four, six games, whatever it's been, have really struggled just to get to 50. Except for the again the the Mercer game where they got 62 and that was an overtime so they needed overtime and to get and 60. they
2: were up by 13 and that was a heartbreaker too
1: and then last game I don't I'm not sure why I was trying to figure out but you know I, I did watch a little bit of that one but Andrea Martin Ruiz did not play so I don't know and that seems like a loss because that's somebody that at least gets minutes I know sometimes. Um, she can be a little anemic, like the rest of the team offensively, but that's somebody that's played a lot of basketball for Coach Hill, and she's not able to go tonight. I'm curious what that does, and they're just relying a lot on Lauren LaPlante. I mean, and, and she's averaging, you know, like 38-point-something minutes per contest in league action. I mean, it's just she played 40 minutes in the first game against Furman. even come off the floor in 38 the next game. So, relying a lot on her. How much is she going to have in the tank? But it seems like this could be a game first to 50. Honestly, both teams have their struggles offensively. Can ETSU get to 55-60? Can they stop Western from getting to 50 or 55 or 60? And to me, that's going to be which offense shoots the ball. I'm going to oversimplify the game of basketball. Who puts the ball in the basket the most will win. And I don't mean that. Tongue in cheek. I mean, literally. Who can find a way to put the ball in the hoop yep. today? That can get to 55 or six is going to win the game.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, and it's a Western Carolina team that shoots 24 percent from behind the arc. Right? ETSU is, I think, maybe percentage points better. Uh, two teams that have struggled to shoot the ball. The one thing you cannot do with this Western Carolina team is send them to the line. So you have to play smart defense without fouling. You can't commit those fouls. If you're behind the play, trying to catch up, trying to be a hero, right? Or if you're out of position and you just slap at the ball, those are going to be killers because every point is going to be extremely valuable. Now, last time these two teams were in this building, it was Brittany DeZell's 100th win, 76-49 victory. Uh, What a difference a year makes for Elise Stafford, because that day I think she had 29 points, uh, fifth most threes in a single game in ETSU history, and Stafford has just struggled mightily. One of the, I'd say, the poster child right now for ETSU in terms of their shooting struggles. So offensively, yes, going to be... Very, very difficult. I think that this is a bit of defensive fire versus fire, right? You know, who is going to be better on that side of the ball? Can ETSU put the press on? Are they able to flip that press into offense? Uh, On their baseline, out of bounds, because that's been the other place where they have been exceptional. Are they able to design those plays, use those plays, execute those plays? That have gotten them quick points off inbounds. They have like three or four different things going on. A lot of it's on Kaya Upton, great decision maker, right in the baseline. If she's in the game, she's going to be the trigger person for those plays. Does she make the right decision? You know, does the defense get lost? Western Carolina definitely um, has had defense be the better side of things. You're right, Andrea Martin Ruiz. Um, her sister Judith no longer with the program. Uh, a couple that uh, a couple internationals that have come up to play for Kylie Hill. Judith no longer with the program. Andrea, missing last game, she played every other game, so what will that look like for ETSU? Courtney Moore and Abby Carrington are going to be out again. Everyone else should be available to play. 58 points for Sanford. I know it isn't exactly your explosive blow-up offensive performance, but for ETSU, putting up 31 in that first half against what is likely to be, or at least has a very good shot to be, definitely a top-two team in the league, possible league champion, possible one-seed defending league champion, both in the regular and postseason it was 35-31. They were up 11-3 to early. They showed a lot of quality time on the court in that first half. And then the third quarter came along, as it always does, and the Bucks were outscored 20-3 to in the first, I think it was, eight minutes. So how do you get off to the start in the third quarter? Are you able to flip defense to offense? And can you defend without fouling and not get out of position against Western Carolina, who are really struggling because of Ky- Kyla Allison and Zenoria Cruz's recent struggles? They're trending downward, two leading scorers. Nadia Marshall, trending upward. Lauren LaPlante, the problem with relying a whole lot on her, and she was your preseason all-conference player, those big games have been few and far between. That Wofford win they had, I think she had 22. That's a season high. Against Furman, she had 21 of the Catamount's 45 points in that 54-45 loss. Firstly, that's really rough to have to carry that much of the load, right? Almost half the points. But that was, I think, only her second game in double figures in this league season. Second or third league game and double figures. So she has, much like Lee Stafford, not been able to live up to the hype to this point in the year after that preseason all-conference award. Um, It may not be pretty tonight. That being said, sometimes you have these defensive games that look like they're going to be 48-45, and all of a sudden it's 70-67 with a couple of seconds to go. It really could go either way, because I think Western Carolina, in terms of their roster, is a lot more talented than when Jules Smalls was here, because it was Jules Smalls and not a lot else, right? Um, For ETSU, They haven't had the chance to play together outside of that Sanford game in almost a month. Think back to the weekends before that. UNCG game, right? You had the win, 58-48, started to look good for you. Maybe you are going to turn the corner. Western Carolina coming in, a team you've beaten 13 times in a row, get COVID. Then Furman, you're missing a couple of people because of COVID and other injuries. You only have eight people night one, nine people night two. Then you're shut down for COVID again. And then you go play Sanford, look good at the start, and maybe some of your legs, you know, ran out of steam because you just hadn't been out there that often over the last month. Having the team at full capacity as it nearly is now is obviously a key because ETSU, if they put that press on, need to have the stamina and I think that this is a very winnable game. Going into a Thursday game against Chattanooga and a Saturday game against Mercer, that could be tough.
1: And I think I would give an advantage to ETSU on the offensive glass. I think they're better rebounding. I think especially on the offensive end, they could get second-chance points. That could be an opportunity today to where I think ETSU, if they could get 12, 16 second-chance points, that that could easily help ETSU um, do a nice job of picking up a home win and trying to build a little momentum because they're going to take on after that Chattanooga, which a team they beat at home um, last several years, actually, or played some tight games with them. Then Mercer – Um, Interesting to see what Mercer is going to do. ETSU uh, had success down there last year, but not so much at home last year. So Mercer will be fighting for maybe an outright championship. So it will be can you play spoiler mode at at that point in time.
2: Before we go, because we're probably not going to be on before the Chattanooga game, it's pretty simple in terms of beating Chattanooga on Thursday in my mind. In the four games that Chattanooga have scored 50 points or less in league play, they've shot a combined 12 of 71 from three and gotten to the line 10 times less. They're undefeated in league play when shooting above 35%, winless when they don't. Ebony Williams, usually a thorn in ETSU's side, just three of her last eight in double figures, and Bria Dial is coming off a scoreless game where she was 0 for 10 from the floor, just 10 of her last 42 from three. So Chattanooga, further up in the standings, yes, but if you're able to defend the three-point arc, if, again, you don't commit the dumb fouls, right, and send Chattanooga to the line for easy points, and if you're able to just continue the slide of Ebony Williams and Bria Dial, I know Chattanooga has more weapons than Western Carolina. They've got a better pedigree. They are flat out a better team, I think nine times out of ten nights. But looking at how things have played out for them in this league season, it's not like they're unbeatable. And ETSU at home for only, I think, like the, what, fifth time this season or something? It's been very few home games. Uh, it'll be nice to be back in their own building where they can settle in for a league play.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Be interesting to see with Chad. I just feel like ETSU had like the
2: weird games where they just haven't been able to score,
1: right? And, and to be honest with you, look at Brittany Zell's career, and she's had some of the better games against Chattanooga. Rather, you know, no matter where the teams are in standing, I don't know if that's you know me wanting to build up the rivalry yet again or not. But if you look at it, ETSU's either play tight games or beating them. So I feel like um, you know if ETSU can get the first, then I feel like a little more momentum going into Thursday, right? But and because you get to go quick, quick, quick instead of maybe you know play off, play off the way they've been going right now, if you can pick up a win tonight, I think then I think it's much easier to pick up that win on Thursday, and then who knows at that point can you get on a roll before you go in the conference tournament? Which let's be honest, who's your favorite women's right now? Is it Sanford? Stanford. Yeah. And after that, who? Mercer. Okay. And
2: chat. Those three, those three are pretty clear cut for me above the rest.
1: Or can anyone be beat in Ashville?
2: Yeah. They can because that's, the that's league, sort, that's sort mean, of my point. For, yes, for I, them I them. agree,
1: your top three is the top three. There, there's no there's no doubt. And Wofford has Wofford's its moments. Done well this Wofford, year. They really have Wofford's yeah. had moments. But certainly It surprised me. I could see where two of those three get in the title and one of those teams got beat in the first round. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't
2: think it's gonna be smooth sailing along the way for anyone. I think there will be
1: scares for yeah. each team. Absolutely. Okay, let's uh, – stock report, right? Coming up after this timeout, Sandoz Psychic, Buccaneers Sports Network. Three, two, one, happy
0: new Year! Now you can enjoy the new year with more games, more chances to win, and even more fun from the Tennessee Lottery. And you can play any way you like. Play quick and win big with instant games. Or try drawing style games that pack a big money punch. So don't drop the ball. Make a resolution to put a little more cash and a whole lot of fun in your pocket today with the Tennessee lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsible. No. Five, five, four, four,
1: three, three, two, one, one. Sandos and the sidekick. We have a
0: it Here we
2: go. Oh.
1: You're way excited.
0: Sacrifice! Sacrifice!
1: <laughs> I don't know if you're more excited for the bumper or the segment. Hold oh, on, the bell's still going. Oh, it's over. Okay. Maybe we should have cut. Any that down, like any advantage? That's yeah, so fine. That's yeah, fine. Okay.
2: Uh, let me give you a look around the league before we get into kay. our award winners, before we get into remaining schedules, yep. before we think what's going to happen. I'm just going to sip coffee while you do this. Go happen. ahead. Uh, VMI and Sanford have COVID, so we know that. Right. So a couple teams mm-hmm. you can just check off the ledger right now in terms of breaking down anything there. Uh, so not going to be able to play, obviously, for these next couple of days. Now, VMI's game against Chattanooga, I see, has not necessarily been marked off the ledger yet. How they would be able to play that, I have no idea.
1: I would be shocked if VMI just doesn't look at the league and go, we'll just see in. I mean, might as well try to go in as healthy as you can to the tournament as opposed to... 100% agree. But I, I don't speak for VMA, so I don't know. That's have...
2: true. Uh, seems like Magic Bender maybe shut down for Mercer. I didn't see him against ETSU and hasn't played since February 13th against UNCG. I personally think that they're a much different team without him. Am I over-exaggerating his presence on the floor for the Bears?
1: Uh, well, the tissue without him, so... <laughs> um, uh, no.
2: I've got to say it like that. I mean... Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm BJ, bitter about it. B.J.
2: Mack hasn't played since the ETSU game for Wofford. Could be injury, but he was also scoreless in 20 minutes that game. That was his first scoreless game of the season with Messiah Jones back healthy. Perhaps the rotation is just tightening. I know he's someone that scored big points down the stretch against ETSU the first time around, has been consistent for your, you know, what, five to eight points per game, but are there just not enough? Math?
1: I just I don't know that when they brought him in, I don't know that they thought because Wofford is full of shooters that we wanted our six eight, six nine, two fifty, two sixty guy out there shooting threes. I just it's the only odd ball. now again, you're right, he hit two of the biggest shots against ETSU to beat him, but watching the games, it just doesn't feel like that's the type of guy they really want because they have four shooters on the floor generally at all times. They need a Messiah Jones, they need another guy inside. Of course they're missing Bigelow and somebody, but I I think he doesn't quite fit or isn't exactly what they're doing, and maybe the rotation is tightening some. Again, if he has an injury, I don't know about right, it. But, but I I feel like they needed more inside presence than another guy out there shooting.
2: And he played, you know, again, 20 minutes against ETSU. I don't remember any injury. I don't remember him going down with or holding any part of his you – know, so I, right. it very well could have been something in practice, or he came out of that game and the next day woke up and said, ooh, this doesn't feel right, maybe they're saving him for the postseason. But certainly – it doesn't seem like he is someone they're going to turn to for major minutes, even though, yes, he is very talented, does have some size, can shoot it. Um, good player, but uh, at this point I'm not sure that he's in their future plans, at least for the rest of this season. UNCG, healthy, firm and healthy, Chattanooga healthy, which what, with what looks like a top eight of Malachi Smith, David Jean-Baptiste, Stephan Kenich, JJ Caldwell, Darius Banks, Casey Hankton, Josh Ianni, and Jamal Walker. That, to me, is a very solid top eight, if that is what they're going to go with. Lamont Paris and his squad going into the Southern Conference Tournament, and we're not really going to talk about the bottom of the league. ETSU isn't really playing at the moment, but we will talk about them a bit more in a few seconds. Here's the remaining schedules for the seven that are still jockeying for seating that I think is important, staying out of that play-in game. Mercer right now is going to be home to Chattanooga and at Western Carolina they're currently in that 7-10 game Mercer is so that's a situation that I'm sure they'd like to work their way out of there is from what I see a very outside chance that they could do so um, if you look at the rest of their schedule again home to Chattanooga at Western Carolina and those are both winnable games so if BMI doesn't play again and Mercer gets to 9-8 the winning percentage obviously would be better BMI would drop and then they'd be in familiar territory. They they are at Chattanooga, as we said, Saturday, but will that game be played? We could have official word before the show even goes out to all of you in uh, Buck Nation and Southern Conference men's basketball appreciation that it may not even play. Uh, That could be out, uh, again, in an hour or two. It doesn't seem like it would be possible. ETSU at home against UNCG. Last two games for the Bucks have been canceled due to COVID, Sanford, and VMI. Uh, but that's going to be a big one on Saturday for a number of different reasons, not only on ETSU's side, unless things do work out a certain way where the Bucks are locked into the 4-5 game, which I know you can talk about here in a second. Uh, Chattanooga at Mercer, home to VMI. Again, if that VMI game disappears, that's going to be a tough one at Mercer. Uh, Wofford, home to Furman. Furman, home to the Citadel. And at Wofford and UNCG, home to Western Carolina and at ETSU. Go ahead, give me your tips.
1: No, I – it's gonna be interesting because you you've ran out of days to try to get games. You're gonna to have to go to winning percentage, you're gonna to have to do a bunch of other things. And for Mercer Chat, I mean if Mercer was able to rattle off a couple of wins and go to nine and eight, they could jump tremendously in the stands just because people can't play. And if Chattanooga were to drop two, they go down to nine and eight. And again, you gotta go into all these other scenarios for ETSU. 9-6, 8-7 and, six, eight and seven, doesn't seem like that would get them in the 7-10 play-in game, which could have been possible if they go to VMI. Again, what stinks is you lose the two games of Sanford because I don't think there's anybody, I don't care what glasses you're wearing, the way Sanford is right now, I don't think anybody can count Sanford as a even a questionable game. I think it's an automatic at this point in time. So that being said, it really hurts ETSU because you would sit there normally being 10-6, and six, BMI, BMI, let's say even BMI is so good at home right now. Let's say even if you drop that, you're 10 and 7 coming back home to UNCG. Worst case, you're 10 and 8. Everything played out exactly the way it could play out. You're 12 and 6. I mean, you're right there. So it, I think it's going to be destined to ETS. You're probably going to fall somehow in that 4 or 5 game. I'm not exactly sure. You know, with Chat, if they lost a couple, I mean, ETSU could actually jump Chat because they would be nine and six. Chat would be nine and eight. This is where the all the finagling of the games. And I don't feel bad for Chat, even though Chat swept ETSU, because ETSU didn't get a chance to play Sanford twice. Right. And I still feel like that's a situation. But for VMI, you know, they're kind of the, the odd team out because if Mercer was able to win a couple games, they'd be nine and eight. VMI at seven and seven. That's a better win percentage. And so, even though you have less losses, the win percentage is worse. You're going to fall away the seven. And unfortunately you couldn't play because you had COVID. So I the the standings Wednesday will take a little bit more shape going in Saturday, I think all the scenarios because there are there is talk about Monday. The problem is who do you make play? Do you get in a situation where there could be a tie break to settle the league at the top? Or do you try to settle who's gonna be in the six seven game because you play a different day? And do you fight to play Monday to turn around to play again, you know, Friday? So I'm not real sure. The league is certainly trying to figure it out. VMI, I guess that Saturday game hasn't been said. Yeah. If they get it in or do they move that one to Monday because that could affect seeding and that's the only game there. I, I'm not real sure. I don't think ETSU is going to get in a game on Monday. I think there could be some other teams. I think ETSU, just because of the way the games fell and ETSU can't lose enough games to get in the seventh seed, that I think they'll probably – now, they could fall the six because they didn't get a game in, which is still unfortunate. Correct. And they could somehow win a couple, and things go the way. They could, act, you know, accidentally get into three without playing, you know, other than one game. And it would be a quality win because you would have swept UNCG. But uh, there's it, a lot to talk about on Friday where we will have it really narrowed down, well, I
2: think. let's speculate a little bit more because okay. I, I just want to run some numbers past, and you can check my work as we're going here. So, ETSU is guaranteed to stay atop Mercer because – the worst win percentage currently, with how the schedule is right now, that ETSU can finish with is five thirty-three. That would be with a loss to UNCJ. Mercer seven, right? wins both of their final games. They're at five twenty-nine. Yeah. So Mercer can't hop ETSU at least with how the schedule is now. But VMI, if you get to what eight and seven for VMI, if they play that game Saturday, they beat Chattanooga. ETSU is eight and six now. Then you do have the tiebreak though for. Uh, ETSU, if they, even if they lose to UNCG, so the box would then be five. Right. Because VMI would still be. six. They'll have the one
1: game in tissue on that.
2: Correct. Right. And again, that's with how the schedule is mm-hmm. now. Look at the top. If Furman wins out and UNCG splits, Paladins are league champions. Correct. Because with a win Wednesday, that would get UNCG to thirteen and four. Let's say they lose Saturday, at ETSU thirteen and five. They'd be at a seven twenty two winning percentage. But Furman, if they're able to win both, seven thirty two. Yeah eleven out of fifteen would have won that say a like that so they would be your league champion once. And again, there's it's just so hard to look at all the scenarios. Yeah. I
1: don't know the calculation and I read the sheet and I couldn't figure it out, but there is a calculations for wins and percentage that is slightly weighted, but I think that's only for the top. So UNCG and Furman there could be because UNCG would have 13 wins, Furman would have 11, but the percentages of other things could come in. So I still think Furman would be the champ in that scenario, but I think I certainly see where UNCG, who got more games in, would have an All argument. All their games, right? Right. So, yeah, they would have been the only team to play a full schedule, if right. I'm not mistaken, right? So there would be an argument, I think, to be had to be like, you know, hey, we played full schedule, can't get rewarded for getting all 18 in but I I don't know I I know they're they're looking at the because I think the only number of games came into play if they were 10 or less if you got if somebody right. was 10 or less somebody had 10 or more so I think your math on that is going to be correct but I don't want to sit here and swear to it because there is a Three pager of how the breakdown works out, and I don't want to pretend to act like I understand it, even though I've read it like ten times.
2: Now, for ETSU, well, I think the likely scenario is the Bucs play Saturday. Now, win or lose, whatever, I don't know what's going to happen. I think it's a really good game. VMI, I don't think is going to play Saturday. Let's say they don't make up that game against Chattanooga. They're 7-7. Seven seven. Well, even if ETSU loses on Saturday to UNCG, they're still 8-7. That's a little better winning percentage. So, again, you're 5. A lot of scenarios that we're talking about, you end up 5.
1: Right, right. The well, well, the the Chat Mercer game is going to settle a lot. Sure. If Chattanooga wins that, then you know, and if VMI doesn't play, then they're they're the six. ETSU's the five. I mean, a lot of scenarios. I think ETSU's going to be in a four or five game. It just depends on if they're wearing the white or the blue jersey. I I think that's all it's going to come down to. Five's probably more likely in most of the scenarios. But even if they got to the four, I mean, re- really, what are you getting? You're sitting in a different bench. You're wearing a different color jersey. You still exact same. You, you still got to win that, and you got to play the whoever the top seed is. Um, and in that scenario, of course, I always want to play Furman, right?
2: Okay, well, is there a world in which Furman loses to the Citadel and Wofford, and they're 9-6, and, and ETSU wins, and they're 9-6? 4-5 game ETSU and Wofford.
1: There could be, and, and then the scenario ETSU would win the tiebreaker because ETSU would have swept UNCG. So I can tell you that tiebreaker. Because they would have split the regular season, you go to the top. Right? They would have they would have swept UNCG. So
2: well, it couldn't even be a four or five game between Furman and ETSU because it would be UNCG Wofford, then Furman or ETSU, or Ch- well, Chad. And then no, Chad's Chad in there. See, and then Chet right. in and
1: ETSU Yeah, you can't. Thing. After Wednesday, the math will get a little simpler. Maybe we should have saved this segment for Friday. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I was I'm was rolling with it. I know. Again, we it's between me, you, and Kevin Brown. We've done a lot of math on our own, which is not good normally, but. Double-checking math is always something. Yeah, it is.
2: Okay, let's look around the league because I want to go head-to-head with you on player of the year, coach of the year, freshman of the year, defensive player of the year. Because it's just fun. Can, can now, we, can we start with what I
1: think is the easiest? Okay. Freshman of the year? Yeah. Damari? Yeah. Okay. Demari. All right, so I, I just that was the only one I, I felt like looking at, unless I missed somebody, and I don't want to, again, put a caveat on it.
2: I think three I, of them are easy personally, I think that is the easiest
1: I think that's the easiest. easiest. I agree. I think that's the one that's easiest to agree on. The
2: only other two, I think, that come into play for that award are A.J. Mm Stanton-McRae. He's second in the league in freshman scoring. He's second in the league overall in steals. Had a nice year for Sanford. Bulldogs have brought nothing to the table in right. terms of there resistance. Be, yeah. it, it's, ha- it's
1: hard to be on a last place Not or next happen. last place team. If you
2: center. score like 16, 17 a game, sure he's at 11 a game. Yep. Solid, right? No doubt. But DeMar Monsanto scoring 12 a game, had the 20 point streak.
1: Leading rebound. Got national
2: attention as one of the best shooters in the country. Lead, yes, rebounding. He's done a lot for a team that is way higher in the standings. Max Klesmit is someone that I think Wofford fans will push for. He's been good. He could be re- Really
1: good moving forward.
2: But he hasn't been consistent. And n- now, Damari hasn't either the entire t- But Klezman also didn't play the first, what, three, four weeks of the year? Yeah. There's a lot that plays into that. So I think Damari Monsanto, I'm with you, is okay. the freshman of the
1: year. All right. You said a couple other candidates. Which one do you think's the most debatable? you want to start there or you want to end I with I think that? it's coach
2: of the year. Let's end with coach of okay. the year and build the suspense. All right. I think player of the year is Isaiah Miller. I n- And these are, again, with the caveat that things could change over the next, what, five days? If it goes to next Monday, next week, I don't think for me – That is going to change. Wofford maybe wins the league. Storm Murphy. What if?
1: What if they do an award ceremony, and Hayden Brown wore his shorts to the award ceremony? Would you change your mind?
2: Um,
1: Because he's the only guy averaging a double double. Let me tell you guys that I think have had nice years and and should be in the consideration, but won't win it. I think Hayden Brown, double double machine. I think Malachi his Citadel team. Absolutely. I think Malachi Smith has been tremendous and ridiculous at times. I mean, I think he has been incredible. I would put him over his teammate, David Jean Baptiste. I think Storm Murphy and Ladarius Brewer have had their moments. They've also had games that you can forget about. So, Caden Rice, Greg Parham, they've had games. But I think you look at the standings, you look at what people have done, I, you know, and I'm not saying – it drives me crazy when I watch a guy that's playing – and no offense, to Hayden Brown, but a team that's eighth, ninth in the league, and their guy wins player of the year. Well, I, I just, I, 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 and I'm not saying you have to. The number one team doesn't necessarily have to have the MVP on their team. I just don't think you can't be that valuable to your team and in the league if you're eighth or ninth. Okay, I, I just don't.
2: Wild card, VMI has overperformed. Greg Parr. I
1: think, I think again, I think he's in the conversation. I, I think you sir I think he's definitely first team. You know, I think ain Browning probably put first team. I think you can go there with it to say you've done a lot here, and the jump has been tremendous. And I think if you were to vote three guys, I have no problem if somebody said, okay, Miller one, whoever two, Parm three, Murphy two, Murphy two, whoever. I, mean, I think you can. I think you can put Parm in there. I just don't know you can put him first. But I think if he got votes, it's totally worthy. I think it's understandable, and again, I don't think it necessarily has to go to the top team, but I think you certainly have to have a contending team because and and Parham's team is five hundred, right? I mean, they're they're right there. He had a streak of some ridiculous twenty point game it was like in seven in a row, row with twenty three
2: yeah. points or more. It was ridiculous.
1: yeah. So I mean, he certainly played well. He's certainly part of the reason him and Stevens why VMI has done anything this year and and made the tremendous jump. Just like you look at the one two punch of Brown and Rice. You know, and Citadel's not doing what they used to. Do. They try to score 130. You know, back in the day where their numbers were, eh, eh, you know.
2: Still though, I think you do have to adjust for that system. I know it's not the system of okay, 85 possessions a game. I think that Digger Bachum took them from slowest team in the country when he took over to fastest team in the country. It was like 56 possessions, and so then they're 83 game. They like, still
1: lead the nation in mean, three pointers attempted and yeah, made, right?
2: I just. And Citadel has been good this year. They have been. They were a winless team last year, first team to not win a conference game in the Southern Conference in 60 years. So to win five games as they are right now and have a player like Hayden Brown, who is a bit of a reclamation project, right, and as recently as a couple years ago, he might not have been in college basketball, it seemed like, right, um, as recently as last year. Heck, I mean, I, I don't think anybody expected. He had a nice start, and then he got injured, and there were question marks. And he's a great story. He leads the league in both points and rebounds. Now, you make an interesting case for Malachi Smith. Because he's been the rock for that team, right? I don't think you could talk about David G. baptiste simply because he was gone for four games. And and Smith
1: hits the glass. Baptiste does not. Second
2: in the league in rebounding, right? And he's seventh in the league in scoring. Chattanooga, I think, again, has been not as much as a surprise as VMI. I'm not super surprised about the Citadel simply because, A, you couldn't go any lower. You were getting Hayden Brown back and you lost a lot less than other teams. That's what I always try to look at going into voting for a preseason poll or trying to project standings You know, coming into our first segment of the year when it comes to men's basketball. Who do you have back, and how will that fit? And it seemed like Citadel was going to be better. I think Chattanooga, without Matt Ryan, without Ramon Vila, and you had Gene Baptiste, your other best returning player, half in, half out most of the year, I think it's been impressive. Um, So Malachi Smith's an interesting one, too. There's about three or four or five guys I could see, like you said, being right there in the conversation. But I think what's going to hurt everyone else is that Isaiah Miller is a known commodity. He's won preseason that player of the year. He's
1: been there four years. years. That's Correct. almost impossible it, now.
2: It, so you've won the preseason player of the year a bunch of times, the postseason player of the year a bunch of times. This almost seems like just to hand it over to him one more time.
1: Sure. I, and, again, I think you could point to a few games of Storm Murphy that dropped his stock. You could point to a few games of Darius Brewer that now dropped it. his stock. And I think that's – you know, it, I think it's – I don't want to say it's clear cut, but it's not going to be shocking if his name is called to the podium for that award.
2: Defensive player of the year, I haven't seen him.
1: Yeah, there's a couple honorable mentions. Um, I, I think he does the most to disrupt. I think a guy that doesn't get a lot of credit is Alvarez at Mercer. Oh. And, honestly, I think if you go back and look at him versus Miller, if he wouldn't have got a, you know, the quick technical in the first half UNCG, I think that game plays out different. Certainly they got Koval, the block shot guy. You know, and it's either steals or block shots, right? Nobody really, if you shut down another team's you know, score, they don't get as much credit. You have to have steals, you got to have stats, you got to have block shots, you got to have one or the other. I think Koval in his career, but I think he had been in kind enough to maybe get that respect right. as Miller. And when you play with Miller, sometimes I think you get lost in the shuffle. Uh, but I think certainly Alvarez's guy gets credit uh, for what he can do defensively. You know, there's a couple other guys, but I just think in, in the long run when you, you talk about it, I think it's going to, and he's won it before. That's the other thing. It's hard to Correct. knock off the king. So Miller Mil- can walk away with a top offense and defensive award, basically.
2: I mean, when you have almost a full steal per game more than anybody else in the league and you won the preseason play- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just an uphill and battle.
1: And to be honest, and you could argue system because he's top of this, that, and other, but if you watch him in the half court, he gets more steals on the half court than he does in the full court press. All right, I
2: want to hear your coach of the year first because I just want to see how convicted you are in your pick. If you're kind of wishy washy or if you come out right away and you're like, bang, this is the guy.
1: No, because I still need to see how the standings end up. Uh, I'll say this. Who's in the running for you? It's not going to be anybody on top of the league. If, some, if somebody in the top of the league would have established and ran out. Yep. And, and no offense to, to Wes Miller if he would win the next two games and have four losses and play his whole schedule. Impressive. It's a heck of a year. I still don't think it is impressive as what my guy Dan Earl. You know, my mm-hmm. guy Dan Earl. Lamont Paris, if you don't have him in there, I think you're, you're doing a disservice. And I think really those two would be fighting it out for me. And I hate to say it, but Balcom—he's <laughs> just like what they did last year. But I and there's and again, if you came out and said, "All right, Miller and UNCG go 14 and 4, and go there," I, I'm not going to look somebody in the face and go, "You are so dead wrong." Sure, I'm, I'm not. But for me, just they were picked first or second. They're up there. They haven't dominated. Yeah, they could win the league, but they haven't dominated. What no, they were supposed to do. Furman and Wofford to had their moments, ETSU certainly had their moments, but you can't look at those, you know, and you can make an arm shape. Shade she lost ninety percent of his score. Well, so if they, they go say. nine and six, you get lose ninety percent of your score. Let me ask you this. They didn't go off the tracks. If
2: you win one of the Chattanooga games and you get to play Sanford twice and you're eleven and five, and you had the second fewest returning letter winners in the country and lost ninety percent of your top eight scorers.
1: I'll, I'll do you one better. What if you just beat Sanford twice and you were able to beat UNCG and you lost the VMI? And you're sitting there staring. 11 and seven. A, well, no, you lost the VMI. You didn't play the VMI. Game. Oh, did okay, lo- Or lost. Eleven and seven. Or let's say you lost the game 13. as in not play it, and you're at eleven and six. Because I'm just saying, there's no way. I can't see anybody beating Sanford right now. So if you do that, you're already ten and six. Let's say you beat UNCG. You would have swept UNCG. You're at a eleven yeah. and six. It would be hard to not have him in the conversation, not have Coach Shane in the conversation. When you're at nine and six, though kind of middle and you lost some of those games and you can't play the what if did yeah. you beat Sanford you just when you do those votes so Shea I think it's knocked out because he can't have two wins that are guaranteed
2: I think also recency hurts you know you started six and one in the league and now True. you're trending downward if it would have been flipped like Chattanooga right that's why I have Lamont Paris number one right now and Dan Errol is number two and I don't think honestly there's even a, a close third for me I think it is those two I think you hit it on the head you know Chattanooga, as I laid out earlier. Vila, Jean Baptiste for part of the year, Matt Ryan, all gone. Tumultuous, it seemed like, from the outside looking in. Um, you had to manage a lot of moving parts, right? Darius Banks only played half the year. Uh, you've had guys get cleared and then other guys out. and um, You've done very well, especially with how the year's unfolded. Three and five to start league play. And you look up now, the team's nine and six. You won six of your last seven. Recency matters um vmi i know i've naysayed just in the sense of vmi being a top you know four or five team as people seem to bandy about for quite some time but there's no question at all that dan earl has done an exceptional job with this team and just because people have i think overhyped them a bit doesn't take away from their accomplishments in my mind i think he is right there and if vmi plays on saturday against chattanooga i think that could be for the coach of the year award
1: i think if UNCG, the only argument would be if UNCG did win the last two. Again, I would still vote for Paris or Earl. But same token, I I could see if UNCG goes fourteen and four, especially if Wofford beat Furman, and so there's nobody else at four losses, and just takes some debate away. I still think for me, it's the other two guys because UNCG hadn't been able to really separate and dominate. Yes, they four losses if that's really stayed. You know, you could could argue that. But if they were to lose Wednesday, lose Saturday, you know, to me it's just got uh, – it's going to be somebody else in the league. So – and, you know, you look at some of the numbers and and I know, you know, coach of the year most is conference standing, but even Lamont Paris out of conference. I mean, look at their record overall. And you're not supposed to really factor that in, but to me I think you could easily say the best turnaround in the Southern Conference right now, especially when you consider non-conferences – and no offense to Citadel winning some games, the VMI winning some games, but I think Chattanooga has to have the respect of the rest of the league for the amount of wins that they have racked up, you know. Uh for
2: quite some time, they were the number one team in the RPI. And I know that the RPI isn't used like the net is now, and in the net I think they're like fifth or sixth. So they have slid a little bit, and that one loss recently did hurt them. But they're second right now in the RPI to Furman. And I don't think you're going to find a lot of people that say, Bob Ritchie's your coach of the year. So... I don't know. I, the computer numbers
1: at times have been with me. I mean, them. again, I, I I could see somebody, if they're 11 and 4, and when reg, regular season titles sometimes dictate whether they should or should not. So I certainly can see why somebody would vote that way. I'm just telling you, I not would not. Anything. Exactly. I would not vote that way. That's what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, that's all I got. That's was right. fun. I, I enjoy the speculation of words. Now, uh, yeah, and again, keep the asterisk by all these because there's still two, maybe three games. Who knows to be played? For
1: That's right. They could play again no Wednesday, idea. Saturday, Monday. Nobody knows. Somebody gets three losses. All right, what we got? A little recap. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have reportedly agreed to terms with free agent wide receiver Antonio Brown.
0: The Warriors' Clay Thompson is out for the season again. This time, it's a torn Achilles loses 27-17 to an 0-5. Now 1-6. And state the same a lifeless organization. Wake Forest basketball's got its names. coach Steve Forbes from East Tennessee State. And this move makes sense on a number of levels. The conference canceled fall sports on Thursday with a hope that those athletic teams can resume in the spring. The SoCon season is done. Jay told me the turkey
2: wasn't enough on Thanksgiving. He went and got two stumps and a brownie to watch it. Just disgusting. Bold
0: prediction.
2: The Socon season is back, 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 back. The Socon season is
1: back. (laughs) Oof!
2: Look at that laugh. Hello.
1: All right. How do we do? Bold predictions. Yep.
2: I don't think any of
1: us did very good at all. Well, I actually had one go the exact opposite way, and ETSU still won the game. Because I believe there were 72 rush attempts and completions by Samford.
2: Yeah. And we Compared 51, to like 50 or something, yeah. and ETSU
1: won the game. That's a, you that's said 62 a, or more. Yeah. Let's backtrack, I guess. I should have said that first, but yes. I thought for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they had a hard 20 fast, fast system. Not right, right, right. You know, they were only averaging like five yards of completion for the game, though. In fairness, or four yards or something, something ridiculous. Yeah, all the had like 54 attempts
2: for like 222 yards. Yeah, it's not very hard. small. I said uh, 25 special teams points, didn't quite get there.
1: Yeah, the field goal mm, kicking, no. yeah, they get <laughs> a lot of opportunities, a lot of touchdowns. I mean, they're sure a of too, touchdowns. The end I, court, I, I don't
2: yeah. know. Uh, David Sloan, 20 points. Demario Monsanto, 30 points against Sanford. Hello, Is that a win dar- for us? Hello, darkness, my health friend. They, they no would have no they they <laughs> got there. <They laughs> no game got there. Game all on right, side. go ahead. Uh, Wofford was going to lose to the Citadel, Western Carolina, or Sanford. In men's basketball, I didn't play the Sanford game, so I suppose that's a push for me, right?
1: Uh, Fantastic. Sanford's okay. the worst team. Maybe you want to listen to my last segment. <laughs> Sanford's the worst team ever assembled at this point in time in college basketball. I don't know that they could beat me, you, and this chair.
2: Great to have a push. Mercer Loss. over Wofford in football Ooh. was yours. Mercer over Wofford, Three,
1: upset. Three fumbles and three missed field goals for Mercer.
2: You said some very slanderous things about Josh Conklin in that segment. I, really want to go back uh, I can't wait. Fashion. I can't do uh, it again. I'll do it
1: again here in another week. Wow.
2: After, uh, maybe it's you're just mad because the whole prediction didn't work out. That's, I suppose it makes sense. 31 to 14. They Absolutely did chuck it around in. 19 times. A full 19? Wow, yep. man, that's
1: fun. 12 for 19. Good time. For 17 yards or something. Josh, you Actually, they hit. They, they did a tip cool. They hit a couple long bombs. The rest were 4 yard passes. Nah, that's classic. Right. But again, when they ran the ball, guess what? They were dominant. Shocker. Run You're the ball. Still You're dominant. On to the South Run State the game, ball. You? You're I still am.
2: holding on to it all these years later. Eh, maybe just
1: one year later. But. I mean, you know, if something gets you to the semifinal of the FCS playoffs, <laughs> you might want to do that. <laughs> all right. Santa psychic we're back with you on Friday. We will uh, tell you how crazy we are on the SOCOM standings, predictions, and more. All that more on the Buccaneers World Network. Go Bucks!